Alright folks, welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm Michael, and today we're going to hear some pretty amazing stories from Joe Gelia. Uh, Joe is, well, there's only one way to put it, he's the leader of the Elk Bros. And today he tells us two stories in particular. One is an amazing elk season that actually changed all of the Elk Bros' life. And then the other one is actually his most embarrassing story. A story that he promised me he hasn't told anyone outside of an actual hunting camp. It's a good one. I was in tears, laughing, so I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it with Joe. I can't wait to have Joe back on, Um, but for now, let's go ahead and kick this thing off and let Joe tell you his stories. All right, Joe, welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, right. This is your <laughs> bread and butter right here, Joe. I, I uh, I'm the one that's nervous here. I, you were one of the first people I thought of when I thought of having this podcast to make sure to get you on here. Oh, wait a second. Now Gilbert told me you told him that, man. So, uh, well, I'm a big Elk Bros fan. So all of you guys, all of you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I'm, think I'm you're... thinking about doing a group episode for the Venezuelan Mafia because I, although I don't know if they'd ever end up finishing any of their stories, they just argue for an hour. Man, if if we went unleashed, it would be, um, I, I, I don't know, man. It would just go places that you're kind of like, you know, some things go to the edge and then some people just go right over the edge. That would be the one, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I believe it. I believe it. Well, Joe, obviously I know who you are. I'm a big fan, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick to the listeners? Yeah. So Joe Gillia, I'm the owner founder of Elk Bros. Um, uh, Elk Bros. uh, We have our own podcast, Blue Collar, the Elk Bros Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Uh, We have um, Elk Bros Adventures, which um, we are elk hunting coaches and we um, have certified elk hunt coaches that actually go with people and do not guide, but they coach. So we have that part going on. Uh, we have our own YouTube channel. We've got merch and stuff happening out there. We have our online base camp elk training courses out there. Uh, elk Bros is all things elk. Started okay. with basically five guys that um, most of those guys were my clients that became best friends and there's a whole backstory to that. And actually, I think if they listen to Gilbert's episode, they'll hear about Carl Gamage and, and what Carl meant to all of us and how this got started. But that was basically kind of what started all of this, other than the fact that I developed a heart issue back in like 2014, I think it was. And so the mafia... Manano and Luis, you know, they're coming to him like, bro, man, what, what, you know, you're a coach, you're, you're not a guide, you got to do something with this knowledge. And, and we don't want you to die and that knowledge to die with you. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're like, it's getting grim all of a sudden. <laughs> well, we were starting off good, you know, and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like, you got to leave stuff before you die, bro. I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I don't know if you remember this or, or remember me at all, but I actually it was got to be a year, maybe even two years ago. I uh-huh. reached out and asked to be an honorary member of the Venezuelan Mafia. And I think you guys, I think they, they let me in because um, I'm a quarter Puerto Rican. But you go back farther than that. My great, 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 great grandfather is Joaquin Crespo, who was president of Venezuela. So long, yeah. <laughs> long time back. But I don't know if you remember. So I totally remember that episode bro, <laughs> when that came out. And, and I do want to set something straight. I am the leader of the Venezuela. 
I know you haven't listened to Gilbert's episode yet because it just went live yesterday, but I believe he said something along those lines as well, except for himself maybe being the leader, at least the, the person who invented it. So there's a lot of people claiming leadership of the, of the mafia. Look, all it comes down to this. When we walk through the woods, they follow me. <laughs> that is the truth. That there you the go. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing I know you dabbling in that you didn't mention is Hunt Wars, which uh, I did not yep. win this year. I'm not going to be on the next season, maybe next year. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah. So uh, unbelievable um, hunting competition, if that's what you want to call it. What I call it is a reflection um, of what we are, who we are as hunters out there, really. You know, it's so funny that Hunt Wars is this competitive hunting show where you have teams that compete for each other to win the show and but you never have to even think about that or even bring that in the picture because hunters you you put a group of us guys in an elk hunting camp it's competitive i don't care what you do what you say you know we're all going to razz each other we're all going to you know give each other hard time and we're all being competitive not only with what we're doing with ourselves but within our own self and with those animals out there right it's it's man against man man against animal man against nature it's the oldest and greatest competition there is but we actually um after season one with hunt wars and what's so cool about hunt wars is it's not about celebrities it's you it's me it's Anybody can be on this show. So they make everyday people the stars of the show. And it is showing the grind. These are real people on a real hunt, level playing field. And the ethics that are involved in this is what attracted Elk Bros. And after I saw season one and they had people that really didn't have a lot of elk hunting experience that we're making a lot of mistakes day after day after day, making the same mistakes. It was kind of like Groundhog Day. And so I kind of got a hold of Troy and I was like, what if, and before these guys ever got there, got boots on the ground, they had coaching and training to bring up their elk hunting game. And then we would have coaches actually at camp so that when they go out there and they do certain things, we can continually work with them to up their game. All of the team, that are out there, all of the callers, all the shooters, to make this a more or to have better educational value. Because really the coolest part of the show is you, me, all of us people that are used to watching YouTube and seeing a 15 second highlight reel of something that's gone on for 10 or 12 days (laughs) and made it look easy are actually being able to see the real thing that is happening out there, you know, and getting to see you know, how people are going about it, you know, finding out the difficulties, the the failure points and the different things. And so that's what we wanted to bring to Hunt Wars was that educational value that people like you and me could watch and actually not only enjoy the entertainment, but learn from it at the same time. And if you've watched um, the the season two episodes, um, (laughs) so the team that just killed, the first team to ever kill on Hunt Wars, when they drew to be on that show, had zero archery elk hunting experience, zero ground zero elk uh, experience. I mean, I think they had hunted a rifle hunt where they really failed miserably out there one time. But as far (laughs) as archery elk hunting and calling and understand behaviors, they were at ground zero. And they came in and all the other teams were kind of like, 
oh, okay, we have, we don't, we don't have to worry about this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, by about, I would say probably mid-July, I was getting texts from some of the other guys because we're all on WhatsApp together. We kind of, you know, we're all in as a group. We all know mm-hmm. each other. And that's the other cool is the camaraderie part of it. But we're all there and guys are starting to say, you know, Joe, slow down. You're coaching these guys up. And let me tell you, Team Idaho went from ground zero, not being able to make a peep, a squeak or anything to calling in multiple bulls and getting it done following the playbook, man. And I I couldn't tell you, you know, I was so proud of all of the guys just hearing their calling, how much it had changed, hearing some of their thought processing while they were out there. Um, Sure, there's mistakes made. That's elk hunting. But man, to see them out there and, and just seeing how some of these things were processing and coming back, you could tell they really took it in and learned a lot. And it was such a cool experience. And it's not over yet. I mean, there's still episodes happening, um, but Team Idaho is on the board. The team with the least experience came <laughs> in after being coached um, by the Elk Bros and having two Elk Bros um, uh, coaches in camp, and those guys went out and got it done. So, awesome. yeah, it's, it's super so fun. awesome. And and for anybody else that's listening out there that's going, I couldn't hunt elk. I know nothing about elk baloney man (laughs) it can happen you just got to do the work and it's not about the gear it's not about the camo it's not it's about what's between these six inches between your ears and inside here in your heart and the persistence and determination and go making it happen so there's 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 uh elk bros in a nutshell um as you can tell i love coaching i love elk hunting i'm passionate about all of that uh i love seeing people succeed in realizing that the parallels between whatever it is elk hunting and life man that it all takes work it all takes um you know doing the little things that most people don't want to do taking Mm -hmm. it a little bit farther putting the work in believing in yourself getting the skills and then executing so uh, absolutely. We get emails all the time from people that listen to our podcast that say, I'm a first year elk hunter. I listened to all your podcasts. I went out. Thank you. I got it done. And how cool is that, Michael? I mean, so cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the listeners know at this point that I'm a relatively new hunter. I haven't been doing this that long. Um, uh-huh. but your podcast, the elk bros, it's, it's where I've been sharpening my, my knife my, for my tools of the trade. Um, it's, my favorite place to go. So thank you for what you guys have. Oh, you're welcome. The Elk Academy is amazing. If you guys aren't following the Elk Bros, get out there and do it. Uh, I'm going to put links to everything that Joe just mentioned in the show notes and we'll let him say it again at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you guys are great. Every one of you, I, I've laughed. I laugh at every one of you, I laugh with every one of you and at every one of you during basically every podcast. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. What's so weird about that is, is it's, it's uh, with the guys that I have surrounded me, like Chav hardly ever says anything like once in a blue moon, you know, uh, Manano. And I think Manano would say a lot more if things were in Spanish, but, (laughs) (laughs) and, and, you know, uh, or if Luis didn't keep interrupting him. Oh man. (laughs) Between Gilbert and Luis and and Manano egging on Gilbert, I end up having to play the straight man, you know, trying to keep us between the lines a little bit, man, because we do want it to be, a family oriented show. We, I want kids learning 
with their dad or mom or uh, I, I, I want that happening. So we try to keep it where everybody can listen to it. Yeah. And I said this to you earlier before we were recording, but uh, you guys come more from an educational background than a lot of these other programs. Those guys are hunters trying to teach. You guys are teachers teaching to hunt. Um, and it works really well for me. So I, I couldn't awesome. recommend it enough. Yeah, cool. Uh, but that being said, let's let's dive into some stories, Joe. Um, I know you have plenty. You've been hunting for a few years, maybe two or three. Uh, Just so, so why don't you, you pick one, set the stage, let us know kind of, you know, what you were hunting, when you were hunting and... and Go from there. So uh, the the story I'm going to tell about is because you know I, I I like I like thinking about the times that I've killed. I've taken a lot of elk in my day. Uh, I've been very blessed, very successful. Um, and it wasn't successful because um, I wanted to get a photo or anything like that. It's because <laughs> I had to put food on the table, man. And uh, you know I, I've been fortunate, but it's but my stories that really ring to me are stories that I've had with other people. Those are the ones that resonate. And who knows, Michael, before we get out of here, I might tell you my most embarrassing moment <laughs> that actually happened on an antelope hunt. So uh, if we get a chance to do that, but the, the story that I want to tell you about, um, I'm always paralleling life, you know, with what we do hunting. Well, this particular hunting trip, um, I call lemons to lemonade. Um, this one had more of effect in our life than any of us would ever know. And it's a, from the very beginning. So when, when we get together, when the Elk Bros crew gets together, generally Gilbert will show up a little bit earlier. He'll go out and hit the woods with me and Chav, kind of get acclimated a little bit, almost do a lot of hunt scouting before the rest of the guys came in. And we had um, the, the full cast coming in. So the mafia was due to come in uh, on, I believe this is on, on the, the next day, they're due to come in. And <laughs> immediately, man, we're going out. We had we had done a little bit of scouting and checked it out and we get up bright and early in the, the next day. And we're going into an area where I've, I know of that's going to be kind of a hole that when everybody else gets started and starts coming out of camp on opening morning, I know that these critters are kind of pushed this way. So I'm like, well, let's head out. And we start going and Gilbert had borrowed his, uh, his cousin's mule, right? Okay. So this UTV, not a, you know, not a get along type mule, <laughs> no, but not a, <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, we we're in the mule and as we're driving, we're about, I don't know, we're probably mile, mile five away from camp to what we do is we always drive to an area that we want a starting point from. Right. So we go to that starting point and then we bail from there and we take out and we're on about mile five. And for some reason we're trying to find this, particular road and things had grown up i mean it was real hard to see where the old two tracks were and all of a sudden the lights on his vehicle start to go dim and i mean this is uh, we're out there a couple hours before daylight that's one thing that we do and the lights start to go dim and and you know gilbert huh what the you know and he has some voice <laughs> words you know so uh you know Gilbert's like and we're like dude what's going on he says man this thing was working perfect before so we sat there and we played with a few things he goes to turn it on and it goes back and starts again so yeah let's go so we start taking off well you know it, it, that's one thing about hunters we're kind of like 
Well, when things start to go a little wrong, as soon as I go right, let's go deeper. Let's not go back. <laughs> yeah, it's, go. everything's one hundred percent now. It's- yeah, we're we're going, man. So now instead of being at mile five, we're at about mile six, and boom, the vehicle just dies, man. Oh. And uh, this is opening morning for us, a chance to hunt scout, and we're excited, we're pumped, and we're in the middle of nowhere, and the vehicle dies. And I'm like, son of a gun, man, what are we going to do? And, and, you know, I figured I'm going to have to get these guys out of there. So I might have to go all the way back to camp, get my truck. And now to drive on these roads, because I want to, I want you to understand, I want everybody to picture this because when I say road, that is a very loose term because <laughs> what we actually drive on are more like riverbeds, right? It's like, volcanic rock big old boulders and uh if you have uh, a utv atv the amount of time it takes you to get over those in that atv for a truck is going to take four times as long it will beat you to death so i'm like all right guys there's no sense all of us walking back and i'm sure gilbert was more like okay bro i'm (laughs) If you want to walk back to camp, I'll wait here, right? So (laughs) it's starting to rain on us. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take off. Um, I just grabbed my pack, grabbed my bow. And I can remember actually recording something on my phone as I was doing it going like, okay, we talk about failure points. (laughs) (laughs) It's day one and we found our failure point, man, here. So I did not plan on on walking out of this so six miles I've got to go to get back to camp. So I'm, I'm just hoofing it, boom, 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 going across country, getting down, heading down, up and down through all of this stuff. And I'm probably about, I'd say only a mile from camp. And here comes another UTV, boom, 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 boom. And it happens to be a friend of mine that I know and his son. And, uh, and, he stops and says, what's the deal? I'm like, oh, man, we're broke down here. I got to go get the truck, blah, blah, blah. He says, well, if you want, jump in the back. We'll give you a, a ride back to the rest, the rest of the way to camp. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm just, you know, I'm so worried about these guys back there. They're just stuck. So, yeah, sure, I'll jump in the back. And as I'm going, we're, we're now it's even worse. Have you sat in the back of a UTV going <laughs> over boulders before? honestly would have been better off walking. I mean, so we're going in there and as we're getting close to camp, I'm looking and I'm, look, I'm sweaty, man. I've been humping it all the way back. I mean, I am sweating like crazy. And I look and I see movement in our camp. I'm like, who the heck's in our camp, man? And I look in there and it took a second to register because sitting in a chair, relaxing, kicked back as Chav with a cold drink, (laughs) drinking it. And there's Gilbert, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what the heck, man? And come to find out, it wasn't 15 minutes after I left him. Gilbert gets the thing to start and says, let's go, chap. So they just hauled it back, just boom, 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 all the way back to camp. Yeah. And we get there, and, and, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. So they're like having a party waiting for me to get back, right? <laughs> so I'm not worried about you, just like, he'll get here. Yeah, Yeah, not worried at all, man. Here, let's enjoy ourselves. We'll take a nap, have some breakfast. Joe will be here anytime, man. So (laughs) I I get back there and come to find out that we're trying to figure out is the alternator, is it this, is that? So 
we're like, we're not going to be able to use this puppy. I mean, we're just not sure we can't depend on it. So we grabbed a couple of our ATVs and that morning was a total bust. And, uh, and so we tried all that evening to figure out what was that. So we said, all right, the, the mafia is due here in tomorrow about 10 o'clock. We'll try to get everything straightened out, get it fixed before they get here. And then we'll take off in the morning on the ATV. So we do that. We, we burn the whole day trying to figure out, come to find out that, um, you know, Gilbert gets on and has the guys stop and buy batteries for the UTV, all this stuff. And it was just a bad alternator is what it was. So um, the next morning we're up bright and early and we take off. And we go to um, another area that's not as far away uh, so that we can get in and check it out before the mafia comes in. And we stop, we come over a ridge. And one thing that we like to do is, you know, I'm kind of the type of person that I'm a lover before fighter. So I'm always throwing a little bit of a cow call out, trying to find that. And see what's going on, see if there's anything in the area. Well, I had kind of casted some cow calls. I even cast a location, really nothing happening, right? But I know this area is a transition area. I know that animals like to go from point A to point B, and they really funnel through this all the time. So I told, uh, I told Gilbert and Chab, I said, let's set up, let's put a little triangle up, and I'm going to put on a show. Um, which means that we were all going to start playing some parts of a herd and start sounding like elk in there to actually attract elk into us, right? So we start doing it. I start doing some raking. And we have a blast doing this, man. Everybody's playing their part. You can feel your neck swelling up, man. And <laughs> I think I even peed myself a little bit, you know, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. So got it all going on. <laughs> and we're doing this and all of a sudden I, I hear this bugle come at us over here in this little challenge i'm like hmm well we found victim number one which was another hunter came into our show yeah. so so i was like okay let's just keep doing this let's give them something new so we keep putting it on and man all of a sudden screaming at us, so i cut them back off and we do this now we're just going back and forth with the hunter <laughs> and ended up calling him in and it was my same buddy that gave me the ride back at camp oh, the day no. before and his son. So, so I this had just is how you pulled, repay me. Yeah, I, I had just pulled him off the top of a hill all the way across a big old ridge, came over, he heard us and came back in. He's like, man, y'all sounded good. So, <laughs> so we're sitting here and we're talking to him. And uh, he said, yeah, Joe, he said, but I saw a bull come over the fence line about 200 yards down over there when you were putting on that show when I was coming in. And, uh, and so I'm like, and this is how we are when we bump into each other in public. I'm like, okay, man, you saw him, you know, what is your plan? Where do you plan on going? He's like, well, me and the boy have to get back. We've got a birthday party, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, then if you don't mind, we're going to head that way. So he said, no, he said, go for it. So we start to walk. And as we start to walk, I catch movement and I look and it's two other hunters sneaking in on us. <laughs> and so when I see the movement, I kind of give a turkey call and I kind of wave at them like this. And, and, you know, real nice. And we would have gone over and actually talked to them as soon as they realized that they were sneaking in on a group of hunters. 
um, they weren't happy campers. They kind of stood up, turned around, just and just took off a little on the angry yeah. side. Well, oh, well, that's how things go, you know. So here in this area, we've just called in, you know, every people, <laughs> right? No elk yet. Um, but we had an idea that there were still up in the area from the sighting that we saw. So we did not go 200 yards, Michael, up on top of a ridge. And I stopped up there and I gave just a little, little location bugle, like a distant one. And I get a response. So right away, man, we're like, yeah. And actually I get two responses. So we start cutting the distance a little bit trying to get in a better setup position. We are a perfect man because the way we're moving, we have the sun in the face. We got, I'm sorry, we've got the sun at our back, the wind in our face. That's the perfect scenario, man, for an animal coming into you. It's really hard for them to see. They're not going to be able to smell you. The ears are working on whatever calls you're doing. So you've just eliminated three defenses of that animal, right? So as we're going in, we locate this perfect spot. We set up and we start putting on a show. Well, the next time I hear that bull, he sounded further. Now he could have been over a ridge. He could have been turned the other way. But as soon as I heard that, I'm very aggressive. So I go to jump up to cut the distance. And when I do, I hadn't noticed five other bulls that are sneaking in on us from the right. And they're only about 35 yards away well, yeah, and we're so focused this direction that they're off on our on our uh, three o'clock over there and coming in on us. And as soon as I stand up, they kind of booger because they see the movement. Well, the first your first reaction is you drop down. So we drop down. I cow called, and as soon as I cow called, they stopped because again. They kind of had the sun. They didn't have the wind. They saw movement. They weren't sure what it was, right? So mm -hmm. here's all three of us down. And these, you know, it's it's actually five dinks, man. And they're like, well, what was that? You know, <laughs> so they're, they're looking like that. And, and I had, for the first time that, this is the first time I had done it, I had brought one of the predator decoys with me. And I don't know if you've ever seen the predator decoy, but it mounts on the front of your bow. It has a shooting window and it's a cow elk on the front of your bow. And the first time I saw it, I was like, that, that is the ticket right there. Oh, because yeah. elk want to see things, number one. And once they see something, it makes a lot of their senses react. Now they've come in because they've heard something. Now they've seen it. Two things are satisfied. And they're going to come to you. So I'm like, okay, I take this decoy, I pop it open on the ground, I take my bow, boom, I put it through, I bring it up, and I cow call. And those bulls, man, right away, that one bull goes and he kind of looks like this. And here they come in a line, man, just <laughs> boom, 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 coming right to me. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And the bull stops and he looks, the front bull on the front of the procession stops. And all I did was I reached up and I gave a little twitch of the ear on the decoy. Oh man, sold it right there. <laughs> so now I've got my arrow already knocked. It's already in there. These elk are coming in. They're at 30. They're at 25. They're at 20 yards. And at 20 yards, the bull stops in front of me broadside. 
with the rest of them lined up behind. And I'm like, okay, all right. So this is where Joe Delia breaks one of his cardinal sins, man, in that I'm using something for the first time that I have not practiced with, right? And mm-hmm. that's this decoy. Now, I am an instinctive shooter. And uh, being instinctive, you look down the shaft. I keep both arrows, I, both eyes open over my arrow. And so you, if you've ever done that, like if you put your finger out with both hands and you look beyond it, you're actually going to see two fingers, a right and a left, right? Depending on how your eye is seeing there. Yeah. So I always know which one it's actually going to be. Naturally, I know that it's the image over on the left-hand side that I actually use as my lineup when I'm instinctive. Well, that's getting ready to come into play. So here's the first (laughs) mistake I make is the first mistake is I have this decoy down like this and I go to draw. And when I do it, the motion goes up. So all of a sudden this decoy goes like this real fast in an unusual movement that made that bull flare. So as soon as I did that and I drew back, he jumps and he flares and I cow call again. So now the bull that was at 20 yards is at 30 yards. And he's standing there with a tree, perfect kill, but he's got that, he's got that tree right here on the front of the shoulder, but I've got perfect kill behind the tree. So I'm like, no problem. I pull back and here's where that thing happens twice to me on I should have practiced with it. So the first one is I raise incorrectly. The second one is, is when I draw, I'm looking through a sight window. And so the shadow or that, that image of my arrow, one of them is off of the sight window. So I just go with the one that's in it. And instead of it being the left side, I bring over the right side. So now I am no longer shooting straight. I am now shooting to the left. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so yeah, I pulled <laughs> This bull is dead, man. I mean, you. this bull is dead to right, standing right there. I pulled back. I left fly, and I center that tree right there on the shoulder, <laughs> man. Heart shot. <laughs> and, and when I do that, I turn around and I look, and there's Gilbert and Chow, and they're looking at me like, dude, at 30 yards, really? You know, what the (laughs) heck is going on? So they run and I cow call again and have the decoy and they stop again and look back at that decoy. Now this bull is at 50 yards and I'm like, okay, I know what I did wrong. (laughs) So I, I actually look on the other side of the decoy, get my distance using both eyes so that I know what it is. I go back into the window. I pull back. I look at that. I'm instinctively, I know what my 50 is and I let fly. And I mean, this just, it just goes through him so fast. That bull runs off and he doesn't go 20 yards, man. And it's butt over teacups, man. I mean, feet go up, he's down, he's dead. And get this, there's still four other bulls in the area. And I have Chav and Gilbert there, you know, that can still, they've got tags to punch. So we actually played with those other bulls for a while and, uh, and almost still with that decoy. The only problem was the blood from the bull on the ground between us and them, I think was the deciding factor. I mean, we got them within, 
several times, probably within 60, 65, but just didn't have that clear mm -hmm. shot. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Gilbert is aces, man. I mean, that dude, you know, Chaff's not going to take a shot unless it's 40 or under. Um, Gilbert is good out to 60, 70. I mean, that guy can drop dimes, right? Yeah. He's solid. But he's that's the thing I love about Gilbert, though. He's not going to take a marginal shot, and that's what we had. So here we are. We're celebrating. This is really our opening morning. We got the mafia coming in at 10 o'clock. So we get everything. We get the bull pull him into the shade, go down, hike back out, jump on the bike, go to camp. And here's the mafia coming in and they're in street clothes. And we're like, as soon as we're doing hugs, we're doing high fives and everything <laughs> like that. And they go, what's going on? And we're like, dude, grab a pack. And they're like, what? Yeah, you got some packing to do, man. They're in the street clothes. <laughs> Still wearing tennis shoes. Yeah, they come into camp and uh, we have a bull down. So um, you know that it's going to be a heck of a hunt. And the, the thing is, though, is I, I told you that I call this lemons to lemonade, right? Is that I'm about to tell you about the most incredible hunt ever. That Now, I shoot a bull. That was cool. It was a lot of fun. But that was only part of the story. And then there was a part of the story that really um, changed all of our lives. And so that first night, um, we end up, we go, we all go and with all of our crew, it's kind of like a wolf pack. It takes us no time to get an animal out of the mountain. So yeah. we each got, um, we each got, uh, hauling packs and with meat shelves on it, we cut the critter up, we get them, we strap them on, we're in the bike, we're back and we're at camp in no time. Well, every night before, uh, before on the first night of the hunt now this was not the first night of their hunt yet right um yeah. but on the first night of the hunt we have a special meal that the mafia makes and it has seafood and stuff in it so just remember that so we get this done and the next day is the first day for the mafia and we're splitting up Chab and Gilbert are going to go out, um, and they've got the the Pennsylvania cat killer with with them, and uh, and I've got the mafia with me, and so we take off and and we go out. Well, um, that morning, uh, I'm trying to get everything straight. It's so funny, man. There was so much that went on in this hunt. <laughs> it was unbelievable, uh, and. So that was the, no, I'm sorry. It was that morning that I had to end up killing that bull. So I take the mafia out that afternoon, right? Mm -hmm. So um, as we go out, uh, we're heading out and we drive to an area and I come to a side where I can kind of call down into a little ridge area there. And when I, when I do that, um, we, we get a response and we play with some milk and we have some things that happen, but things don't just go our way. So uh, we kind of bail out and leave in that place for the next day. So now when we come out, we head back in the next day and boom, right away, I get responses over in the area over there. So 
we do the same thing. We drop off, we cut the distance, we get over there and I've got Manano and Luis with me and I've got a couple of bulls talking on this one side. So it is thick, thick, thick country. And whenever it's thick, you can cut, you can cut the distance close, man. Mm -hmm. And as we're going in, you can hear these bulls bugling, answering me. And we're probably within the 150 range but it is so thick and I feel something tug on me, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I turn around and he goes, Joe, we're very close. <laughs> we have to go slow and quiet. And <laughs> I just turned around, looked at him and I was like, screw that Manano. <laughs> Let's go, man. <laughs> so I just start taking off and <laughs> go over that. And he, you know, Manano comes from, he is an incredible hunter. This guy's an incredible hunter, but he comes from a different background, like a deer hunting background where it's important to be still and be quiet. And what I try to tell him is not with elk, man, we got to go. So we're going down. And as we're getting close, I give a little bit of a cow call and I hear, I mean, now we're within a hundred yards easy of these elk. So I give the guys the signal just like this, which is our flying V. And what we do is when, when there's three of us and I'm the caller, I have them go out in what we call a flying V. So they're going to go um, out in front of me. They're going to split apart about 30, 40 yards and go at an angle. And this way, whatever, you know, however that bull is going to decide to come in, if it comes over to Manano's side, that's his bull. If it comes over to Luis, it's, that's his bull on that side. Mm -hmm. So I set up, I'm waiting for them to get in position. And once they get in position, now I start putting on a little bit of a sequence. And it sounds something like this, man. It's kind of like... <laughs> so what i'm doing is i'm sounding like a bull with a cow over there right and i'm just in i'm doing a little bit of raking so i'm not doing any bugling it's all these low noises to make these bulls think that there's a bull over here with a cow and and make it sound kind of like a a rutting breeding type thing right so as i'm doing that all of a sudden i can see the body posture on the guys change and <laughs> this bull comes in and it's it's amazing because this bull comes and he kind of just stops he just kind of locks up and monado at to this point he's taken an elk before the previous year he took a cow but he's never shot a bull and this bull comes by him at 30 yards, 35 yards, looking for me and has is just totally oblivious because I'm sitting here making these noises and Manano makes a beautiful shot on this bull. <laughs> as soon as it starts happening, the first thing I do, as soon as I see that shot, <laughs> and I'm not worried about sounding good. I mean, I've even done it with my mouse. I don't care how good that noise is. I'm just screaming it out so that I disorient the bull to make him think that what he felt was maybe another bull, maybe hitting him with horns or anything mm -hmm. like that, right? That there are other elk in the area. So <laughs> I, after, after everything goes quiet, I sneak over to Manano and he's sitting there and, and he's like shaking. And he's like, bro, bro. 
Viralakis, bro. Viralakis. <laughs> and he's like breathing hard and he's rubbing his head and he's so excited. And I'm giving him a hug and we're trying to keep everything quiet. The bull did not go 50 yards wow. and piles up. And, you know, we, we actually have it on video. So, okay. So I've killed in day one. Manano has killed in day two, right? Well, day three is yet to come. Because if you've ever seen our, our crew together, especially Manano and Luis, you know, if you were to listen to these guys, they're like Mutt and Jeff. They're always arguing. They'll argue about <laughs> the smell of air, the taste of water, how wet it is. I don't care. They're going to yeah. argue, man. And uh, But these guys love each other like no other man they're just like brothers and mm -hmm. if you could have seen how happy Luis was for Manano when he saw him with that bull man it, it it's just special and it's that kind of thing that really drives to my heart you know and so man I tell you what I'm flying through a hunt here because you've <laughs> got to hear things happening right <laughs> so we um we go out and we take care of his and it's the next morning. So the next morning, I've got to get these guys up and we're going to, Manano's going to play cameraman now. I'm going to be caller and we're going to take Luis. Well, these guys are not always the easiest guys to get up in the morning, right? <laughs> So Manano, Manano snores like a doggone freight train, man. Yeah, I mean, and thank goodness we keep his tent, you know, far away like that. So a lot of times in my morning, I get myself ready. I'm up really early and then I try to make sure we get the guys going. So I'm like shaking tents and everything like that. And I'm always on them about being responsible and getting their stuff and doing all of this. And I finally get them up. We start the bike, we get everybody on and we take off. And it's probably two hours before daylight. We drive back close to the same area that we've been hunting, but go one ridge over. And I really like this location because what I do is I park the bike in a hole and then I'll We'll hike up on top of a ridge to hunt on the other side. Well, as we get off the bike, I go to grab my backpack and my grunt tube and everything. And uh, Mr. Responsible has left everything an hour back at camp. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean everything man i have no grunt tube i have no backpack i have no diaphragm calls like that and i'm like dude and i'm like i can't believe this man i have i i it was their fault it was, their, it was their fault. <laughs> so i'm sitting there going what the heck man i you know i i don't how am i gonna and so luis goes he goes he goes bro he goes i have a diaphragm call but i've been using it and I'm like, whoa. All right. So in my head, it's kind of like, all right. So this guy has been using this. And I don't know, this is almost like a relationship type thing that we're getting yeah. ready to step over the line here. Yeah, I think I think he might need to buy you a drink first before <laughs> giving you that diaphragm call. At least play some music, stroke yeah, me a little bit, you know, you something like that, man. And, and so I, I'm, I'm looking at him and he's holding it out like this, you know, and on one knee. I'm like, 
what's that on yeah. one knee like he's proposing here you go yeah and i'm like <laughs> all right okay Luis, give me the diaphragm call i'm taking it for the team dude we're not going back an hour i'm gonna do that he said i said i don't have he goes well i got my grunt tube you gave me okay so i grab a used diaphragm call and Luis's grunt tube and we take off and i get to the top of the hill and i give a little cow call out yeah we get a bugle man so that's the thing that people don't realize is that a cow call is a location call as well right so when we get this we kind of are stop listening and it stays in that area. So I'm like, all right, let's go. We got to close the distance. I know where they're at. So we bail off and we come to this one area um, in which we are really only probably 150 yards to 200 yards from a fence line. And that fence line is private property and we're not going to be able to go over it. But the elk aren't there yet. They're like moving on the ridge, heading there, going to bedding. So I'm like, it's perfect. We've got the wind at a crosswind coming to us. They're going to go. I know how they're going to. They, they love to go here and move through their bedding. So let's go up and, and work on this. So we start to go in. I give a location bugle and bulls start going off in different areas. So we move up to the ridge. And as we're doing this, as we're moving, here comes like, all of the elk, man, you can see them crossing this open area, going over the fence, going to the other side on private property, right? So it's one of those situations that a lot of people would be like, it's over, you know, they're not coming back. Well, there were still elk sounding off, especially cow elk. If, if I'm looking and I have private property off to my left, a ridge in front of me that's going as a divider and then area towards my right, I'm still hearing some cows off to my right, plenty of bulls on private property on the other side. So I know that there's elk in the process that's happening back and forth. So what I do is I get Luis and put him down on the edge of this ridge because it turns to open park. So we're in a thick treed ridge that goes down to open park and then goes for about a hundred yards, 150 yards before fence line. Right. Mm. So what I decide to do is I'm going to go up on top of the ridge and I'm going to myself be a herd of elk. So I go up there and I grab sticks and I start doing this and I start sounding. And what I do is I start sounding like a bull with cows with some satellite bulls out there moving away from the elk on private property, not calling to them. Had uh, My mindset was to not even worry about them, to make them think or those cows think that there was a bigger, badder bull with a bunch of cows over here on the other side because cows are the ones that determine who they're going to breed with. So if I could pull the cows, I could pull the bull. You follow me? Okay. So I've got them down there and it's probably 45 minutes later that I'm up there and Luis is, and and Luis told me this later. He's like, man, I was going to tell Manano, Joe, give up. They're not going to come, blah, blah, blah. Well, as I'm up there doing this, I see a cow come out of the trees with a calf running towards that fence line. 
and they're kind of going, they get there, and here comes a bull back behind them. Well, the cow jumps the fence line and starts heading towards the tree line where Luis is at. Now, I'm not sure, like I can see him down there a little bit. I'm not sure where these are going to go, and I'm worried about the scent line, but they keep coming. So this bull comes out of the trees, and this bull, and it's a nice bull, Michael. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a good bull. You know, Manano shot a beautiful bull, and then it was like the next one was bigger. And so this bull <laughs> comes to the fence line, and I give a bugle and some lost cow calls up on top. And here come those cows, kept moving. The bull couldn't take it, man. He goes, he jumps the, he bugles first, jumps the fence, starts coming. And this is where I was so proud of Luis because in his infancy as an elk hunter with me, before he would have froze and never moved. But when that bull comes, the bull stops in the exact position where those cows had stopped 18 yards away. Mm-hmm. But he has a aspen tree in front of him. So he's at full draw, steps out, and drills this bull. (laughs) This bull gets hit, turns, and now here's the thing about elk. Elk will always run back in the direction that they came, along the exact same trail. So this bull is heading for the fence line that he just jumped over. And probably 20 yards before he gets to the fence line, you can just see his head go down, his butt go in the air, and boom, down. I mean, within seconds, man. So we have now three bulls down in three days, archery, that have all died within 15 seconds. Wow. Okay. Of a trip. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, so leave some for the rest of us, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not done, man. I I had a feeling. What's so funny is we go back. Now we have all of these guys that have tags filled. Um, So we're going to start working on uh, uh, Brendan and Gilbert, right? Now, Chav, Chav was having some issues and we didn't know what was going on. And he, he just wasn't feeling that good. So there was a day where he felt like, you know, um, that he was going to stay in camp and stuff like that a little bit later on as we're going. And um, what had happened was on that one night that I told you that we make the seafood. Mm-hmm. Well, the next day, Chad woke up in hives Ooh. and with this allergic reaction. Well, he's never been allergic to shellfish or anything in his life. So I kind of freak out. He's having trouble breathing. Gilbert, who is allergic to everything, has a whole bunch of Benadryl. <laughs> and we we drown him with Benadryl. And and I'm like, guys, we're going to take him in. Now this is this is before um this is before uh right after Luis, I believe, had killed his. And you know, we're like I'm, I'm going to take him out of the mountain and take him down to the hospital. And Gilbert's like, yeah, I mean, I'll go with you. And Luisa's like, well, we're all worried about Chad. Maybe we should go too. And we're like, no, man, you guys are next up. We got this. Luis, you know how to call. Go out there. It's time for you to take the lead, right? And we go out and we take Chad down. By the time we get down, the Benadryl's starting to work, but I still took him to the hospital the next day. Yeah. Well, the doctor at the hospital had found out that there was some things that he had been taking, some steroids. So 
he gives him a shot in the hip to, you know, because he thought that it was just a steroid issue that was going on and gives him a shot and says, you know, and Chad's like, well, what do I do? And he's like, go back hunting, right? Get back up in the mountain. Well, I just want to tell you that that incident, because of what happened in that hospital, after our hunt is over, we end up getting back home and Chab started to have more issues. And so my sister-in-law takes him to the hospital. The same ER doctor is there and realizes that this is something more than what he thought it was. So mm-hmm. he asked Chab if he wanted a CT scan and Chab's like, well, I tried, but my insurance won't allow it. And he's like, it doesn't matter, dude, this is a, this is a hospital emergency room. I can do what I want. So he goes and puts him in a scan. Well, that's where this hunt, this epic hunt was so life-changing is that that night of seafood saved Chav's life because that second round of going to the hospital after the scan, which the doctor wouldn't have done if you wouldn't have seen him the first time, yeah. we find out that Chav has cancer, which ended up leading to uh, an incredible nightmare and yet God's blessing of a journey. So um, my brother-in-law, who I call my brother Chab, ended up at, by Halloween, with stage four cancer throughout his body Um, and developed tumors along his back that impinged his spine that took away his ability to walk. And, uh, but the best part of the story is, is that the fighter that Chab is, continued to fight with support of all of these guys and uh, everybody around him and his own internal motivation and family. And today, um, that was Halloween of 2019. And today, Chav is cancer-free, walking, and was on his first hunt back out in the mountains last year. Had to be in a blind because he's still working on his walking. But um, uh, but he was back out in the mountains. So this will be his That's awesome. second year back out. Oh, dude, you don't. It's it's unbelievable. So elk hunting not only changes lives. This particular trip um, of lemons that we uh, have turned into lemonade saved Chab's life. Yeah. So after we got him back from the hospital, and here's here's the the crazy part was he was not at hundred percent. This guy had things going on in his body that he didn't understand. And yet when we took Gilbert out for his hunt, Chad was right there. Right. (laughs) Of course. So we go out and this is day four. We go out and we get into an area. I come to the top of a ridge again, looking into a bowl, I'm casting into the bowl and I get, and we've got a calf that's running into us. Well, when a calf comes running into you, you know that there's a herd somewhere in the area, right? That, you know, he's just trying to find where, where's mommy, where's aunt, where's uncle, right? So we're trying to work to find this and we decide, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's take a break in this one area. And we hear a bugle coming from the top of this one ridge that these guys had already climbed three times prior in the days before. And they're looking at me like, again, we're going to go up this freaking thing again. And we're like, dude, 
that's where the elk are. That's where we're going, right? And uh, so we start heading up there and we get up on the top of this. And now where we're at, again, we're on that, we're on a ridge with private property not too far off. I can't see the fence line, but it's not too far off. And we're hearing screaming elk. I mean, multiple bulls on the other side in the private property. So again, I went back to putting on a show, right? So I became my own herd and I started moving away, not to, I'm moving away up on that ridge like I'm going away. And then I came back to what I call the cow pickle. I came back with <laughs> lost cow calls and just screaming these obnoxious cow calls, man, over and over and over. And I'm doing this and doing this. And, and I'm like, man, I don't know, man. I don't think anything's coming in. And Gilbert's like, Joe, man, I, I think I hear something down in that wallow. He said, I think something's coming this way. And I'm like, okay, dude, let's, let's see what happens here. Right. So I kept on working it and this bull and people say an elk won't come uphill to you. This bull jumps the fence somewhere down there, comes directly up the hill. I, I'm off to the side filming. I have Chav and Gilbert off to my left. Bull coming up, I see horns coming over the hill. And when he comes up, he is looking for that cow in the trees. And he comes and he stops frontal, frontal at 30 yards, right? Wow. I'd say it's 30 to 35 yards. And yeah, here yeah. we're in the trees and that bull is just stopped. Ears like this. You can still hear some other bulls in other areas that are going off. And he's looking for that cow. And he's just standing there, standing there. And I'm like, I know what's going through Gilbert's mind. Gilbert's like, frontal, frontal, you know, should I take that frontal? And, and I, I'm so glad he didn't because he also knew that that was a dead bull. Mm-hmm. That bull standing in front of us at 35 yards, frontal, and really no place. To, there wasn't anything around to get in the way. We had trees there, but Gilbert had a site that he could get through. And I'm just waiting for that bull to get bored so that he can turn. Eight minutes later, <laughs> eight minutes later, we have it on tape. <clears throat> that bull is still staring at us. And all of a sudden, I think off to the side, Brendan had flashed the decoy and a bull bugles. And that now this guy has already screamed a couple of times in our faces looking for this cow, trying like come to me. And I mean, it is so daggum tense. You could slice the air, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever had a bull in front of them that you're waiting for a shot and you're here. <laughs> your heart is beating. You've got your breath coming out. <sighs> You know, it's kind of like one of those types. And I, I could swear I could hear Gilbert breathing over there. Man. <laughs> and Chav is over there on the side and Chav is clicking, trying to get the range on this booger to make sure he has it right. Well, that bull decides to turn. And as he does, I scream a bugle. He locks in broadside, looks at me and the arrow is off, man. And I kid you not, I have this on video. This bull runs, his rear end slides down a little bit to stop. He comes back up, he wavers, and he falls over. Within wow. nine seconds, we have 
number four in four days down on the ground unbelievable man i mean the the most epic hunt you could ever imagine and and you know we've had a lot of hunts like this you know we just got back from colorado last year three out of four you know our camp has traditionally been over 80 percent you know um uh, with guys taking elk i mean it's we have such a cool crew guys are so patient they believe in the method. They believe in me. And we go out and we just really get after it to get it done. Now, when we walk up to this bull, Manano's bull was nice. <laughs> Reese's bull was big. Gilbert's bull was a hog, man. It was just, oh, I mean, it's like every time we put one on the ground, it got bigger like that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that hunt there was probably one of the most unbelievable, most memorable, just how everything went down. And then the fact that what happened with Chab, you know, with everything with that, that kind of marked that. And the following year was the first time, and it was my 38th, 38th season. And it was the first time ever hunting without Chab at my side because um, he, uh, he, he was, you know, recovering from cancer. Okay, so I promised you a, a, a little laugher at the end, bro. Uh, all right, all right. I can't wait. I was I was worried I'd have to do something special to get you open up about it. So let, let's let's talk Joe Gillia at age twenty four, maybe hunting <laughs> antelope with bow. Um, and if you've never hunted antelope with the bow, man, let me tell you what you think you walk a lock elk, elk hunting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So we're working, we're stalking animals. We're doing different things. We're in an area called Tres Piedras, three rocks, you know, uh, in New Mexico. And it was a great place to antelope hunt. And I, I'm not going to give all of the details of this story because it'll go long, but oh my gosh, the things that Chav and I would do um, out there and the things that we would see, you see the craziest things on an animal plant. I mean, you see guys on bike trying to go over volcanic rocks with a decoy on the front of their bike. <laughs> we look up one time and there's guys dressed in antelope pajamas trying to stalk antelope, right? <laughs> do not do this at home, y'all. <laughs> I think I've seen Randy Newberg with like a foam antelope hat on top of his head on some of his videos. Yeah, I've I've seen those too. The yeah, yeah. Uh, the the be the decoy, right? Yeah, yeah. That sounds be, like a bad idea to me on public land. <laughs> oh my gosh! And you and so I thought other people were like ridiculously crazy, right? So I'm in this area. I'm moving through a little bit of a draw. The sky, a little scrub oak that's going out to a little bit of an opening. And when I look out there, there is a beautiful buck that is bedded down. And he's about, for me at the time, he's about 200 yards. So I start stalking this booger and I move and I move and I'm in the scrub oak and I come up and it's low scrub oak and I come into an area right at the edge where now it bottoms out and there's nothing else, right? So I've got some bushes on the side, scrub oak where I'm at, and this antelope is bedded out there and he's at 80 yards, not my shot right yeah. so i'm like well how can i get this booger closer and this is like this is like my first time hunting antelope out there i've already done the pit blind thing which totally sucks and i have add and that doesn't work so i'm out <laughs> stalking these things and 
I'm like, how do I do this? And I was like, you know, I've heard stories of people waving a white flag, right? And I'm like, well, I don't have anything white that I can, hmm, I do have something. <laughs> so I proceed <laughs> to stand up and drop my drawers to my whitey tidies, man. And I bend over. And I kind of take and I put my rear end out. <laughs> this, my friend, you owe me money for. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, I'll owe you a couple of beers, I think. <laughs> and, and I'm sticking it out and I have my bow knocked and I'm looking over my shoulder and I'm just kind of backing up a little bit, <laughs> kind of kind of moving a little bit side to side, putting the, you know, putting the move on. Yeah, and I'm, just being and the that, sexiest that antelope you know how to be, right? <laughs> that, buck, that buck goes like this, man. And he looks and he's looking like, I'm like, yeah, I got, he stands up. He starts to take a couple of steps and I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this, how do I put this, you know, how do you send this story to Bowhunter if you're successful? First yeah. of all, how do you send this story, right? And so I'm sitting there doing this and I'm letting it, because uh, I got to be ready to shoot, you know, so I've got my arrow and I'm backing up like this. And as <laughs> I'm doing this and I'm, and I'm, and I'm twerking in the, you know, uh, I'm doing all of that stuff going on to this to this buck out there. The first one thing goes to my mind is is I'm like, man, I am so glad there's nobody here to see me doing this. I was and gonna ask, where's Chav? Just as that thought gets out of my head, I look up to the left. Forty yards away is a man and his wife standing there, rolling, dude. They're just like. So, so forget the buck i straighten up i pull up my britches and i just start walking off man it was like it's over i'm done i think i oh left a buck antelope rolling on the ground in a in a couple rolls. I, I i bet to this day they're probably someplace and yeah we were hunting over in tristan ross <laughs> Joe, that's the funniest. I think that's the funniest hunting story I've ever heard. That's that's that is my most embarrassing hunting moment, man. And uh, yeah, you you're the only one privy to that, man. So uh, for for now, for now, when this is released, then I mean, I have to come down and uh, and pay you for the rights of the story here because that's a good one. Oh my god, I'm I'm in tears, Joe. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I can make it. Look, look if, you, if you ever need a private twerk, I do, you know, on oh occasion for money, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all got to make a living somehow. <laughs> we got to make a living somehow, bro. <laughs> Joe, this has been fun, man. Thank you so much. This, yeah. I, I'm, I have a feeling that uh, I'm going to call on you again to tell us some more stories. I don't know <laughs> if any of them will live up to the two that you just told, uh, but this was a lot of fun. So thank you. Uh, absolutely michael i had a blast man yeah hey, but man, before, thanks for what you're doing of, of course of course uh and before we sign off fully here why don't you give the people a couple places that they can find you find uh, the elk bros maybe your instagram website whatever yeah. it is wherever you want to send them yeah so all you got to do is go elkbros.com e-l-k-b-r-o-s one word elkbros.com you go there, you can find all things elk bros um we're on instagram we're on youtube just do a search for that 
If you want to find us on Apple Podcasts or go to Waypoint TV, that is our host network, Waypoint TV, and it is an incredible channel. Go there. You can find all things hunting, fishing, outdoors, man. So go check it out. Um, uh, drop us a line. Ask us a question. Let us give you a shout out on our podcast. But whatever you do, man, as you can tell, in life, you got to learn to laugh at yourself. You got to enjoy it. got to have good times. And that's what makes the memories. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm trying real hard to go antelope hunting this year, Joe, and uh, I'm pretty sure you just gave me my first tactic that I'm going to try. So I'll try and recreate that in a video for everybody. There we go. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Um, Take care. Peace, peace. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it. Another story, a couple stories in the books. I want to thank Joe so much for uh, coming on the show and for being so vulnerable and telling us that amazing antelope story. Uh, his elk story is absolutely phenomenal as well, but that antelope story is going to stick with me. Uh, I don't know the last time I laughed that hard. So I hope you all enjoyed that story as much as I did. Uh, that being said, give the elk bros a follow. I've put links to everything that they do in the show notes. It's the best place to find it, but you can go to their academy. Uh, you go to their podcast, their website. They've got some products. Everything they do is, is amazing. So make sure you check out Joe and all of the elk bros. Uh, beyond that favorite podcast app, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, whatever it might be. Give us a like, give us a follow, share the podcast with your friends. We want to make sure that these hunting stories are being heard by as many people as possible and that as many people that have great stories out there are coming to us to share their stories. So thanks again for tuning in. Really do appreciate it. Joe, thank you so much. I loved every minute of this one. Now to all you listeners, go out there and make some stories of your own.